during the pandemic, we had a reawakening of civic awareness and civic pride. And people started to realize, wait, if we don't have our own house in order, we can't affect change nationally. So first, let's focus on having the best schools in the nation, having the cleanest streets, having a functional government locally. And that's really where Grow SF excels. We only focus on San Francisco. Like if you want an opinion about Medicare for all, don't come to us, right? If you want an opinion about how do we ensure that Timmy is learning algebra, then come to Grow SF. This is the Grow SF podcast, and I'm Vishal Lugani, your host. Grow SF is a nonpartisan, grassroots political force in San Francisco. We are bringing back common sense to City Hall. In 2022, we recalled the failing school board and helped elect Joel Engardio to the Board of Supervisors. In 2024, we will help turn the tide against incompetence in City Hall and elect a common sense majority. Co-hosting with me today are GrowSF co-founders Stephen Buss and Sachin Agarwal. Hey, I'm Stephen Buss, co-founder of GrowSF. This is Sachin Agarwal, co-founder of GrowSF. By way of introduction, I'm a Bay Area native. I grew up in the East Bay. I've lived in San Francisco since 2016. I lived across a couple different neighborhoods throughout the city. Recently, like like Stephen, got got engaged, so we uh, <laughs> getting married and and looking forward to hopefully uh, raising a family in the city. Uh, that's our that's our plan. And honestly, I just feel that I'm sort of in a place where I'm looking around and trying to understand why we can't have better outcomes in in San Francisco, why we can't have things that are that that work for everybody. Uh, there's so much to love about the city. It is such a vibrant place. It's a vibrant collection of people. And it's hard to argue with so many aspects of the quality of life here. Uh, and at, at some point I was looking around and I came across Grow SF. I met the community and felt really motivated to try and chip in in my own way. And so that's just a bit of a background on me. And I'm going to hand it over to to the guests of honor, the, the founders. Stephen, you want to start? Sure. Hey, uh, thanks to Shaw. Really appreciate you doing this. Uh, I'm really excited for the season. I think it's going to be a blast. Uh, so, hey, everybody, I'm Stephen Buss, co-founder of Grow SF. Uh, I am not a Bay Area native. Uh, I was actually born in Singapore. I wasn't even born in America. And uh, I lived in, a, you know, I don't know, a dozen different cities, three, four different countries in my life. Uh, the longest I've ever lived in one place is about eight years. And I've been in San Francisco since 2016. So soon enough, San Francisco will be the longest I've ever lived anywhere. So it's definitely my adopted home and somewhere I want to spend the rest of my life. Like Vishal, I'm recently engaged. I'll be getting married next April. I'm very excited to build a family here. And um, that kind of has influenced my goals to focus on improving our schools because, you know, uh, I work in a nonprofit now and I can't afford private school. <laughs> so we got to make the, the public schools better. But yeah, I, I moved here in 2016, immediately got involved in local politics. Uh, my The first person I ever volunteered for were, was uh, State Senator Scott Wiener when he was first running for the State Senate. And since then, this hobby slowly took over the rest of my life and became a career. You know, I, I love San Francisco. I want it to be the best version of itself. And uh, I believe 
that GrowSF can help get it there. Hey everyone, I'm Sachin. Uh, I've uh, lived in San Francisco um, since 2004. And you know, I just love living in cities. I uh, love living in dense areas where you can walk around and take public transit. And there's just a ton of diversity and great food and just so much to do. I've worked in tech for most of my career and never really paid attention to politics. And a few years ago, my wife and I decided to stay in the city and raise our kids here. And that's when I you know, started to pay a little bit more attention to what was going on and trying to figure out like, why the city is off track. I don't want to leave. I'm never going to leave the city. And so it was that, at that time when I started to learn more and I, I met a ton of people and I met Steven and we decided, you know, hey, like, let's just take a break from tech and let's invest in San Francisco and um, let's start an organization that's trying to educate voters and just provide good, accurate information about the city. And if we are more informed and we get more involved, uh, we can get the city right back on track. And that's what we've been doing, and it's gone really well. So, guys, maybe to both of you, why are we here? Why get the message out via podcast? And, you know, with that, maybe you could tell the story about uh, how, how both of you came to start the organization. The amazing part about San Francisco is that, you know, it's, a, it's an incredible place, but obviously we're going through a tough time. And almost all the problems that we see in the city are policy decisions. They are, you know, caused by the people who are in power and the policies that they have pushed over the last 20 years. And, and it's incredible to think that some of the people who are in power now, and particularly some of our supervisors who are just terrible for the city, have won by hundreds of votes. Like, that's how sh small the margins are. So to answer your question about, you know, why are we here on this podcast, it's because we need to reach voters and every single vote matters. Um, and so, you know, it's important to us to use every channel possible to reach people and just let them know that, you know, we can turn the city around if we simply vote better. I couldn't agree more. We really want to talk with voters through every available channel, whether that be podcasts or written content. We believe the dialogue is important. So right now we publish a lot of written content, primarily Twitter and long form content on our website and newsletter. And we want to give people educational resources. Like we're not pushing an agenda. We're not trying to change people's minds. Even, uh, we run polls and we figure out this is what people want. And then we look at what we're getting and we ask, well, what's the disconnect? And the disconnect is really that the people we're electing are promising to do things that people want and completely failing to deliver. So here's an example. 70% of San Franciscans want there to be more police on the street. Now, if you ask the, the crazies on Twitter, they're still hammering the drumbeat of defund the police, but a regular San Franciscan wants to feel safer in the city. And our electives are not delivering that, right? We, we can't hire police, we can't pay them enough, they can't afford to live here, and all of these things as such and said are policy choices, which we can fix. So um, a lot. Of, another thing that we see a lot is misplaced blame on, on who caused the problem. So the most recent thing we published was an analysis on mayoral power, because a lot of people, they see the clean, the, the dirty streets, the ineffectual policing, and they blame the mayor, which is a totally reasonable thing to do if you don't understand how power is wielded in San Francisco. And so our analysis found when we started our strong mayor system back in 1996 with Willie Brown, it was actually a strong mayor system. Willie controlled almost all departments. He could hire and fire department heads. He controlled most of the commissions. 
It was truly a Strongmare city. And in the 20 plus years since, it has become a strong board system, but the public like zeitgeist is not kept up. So right now, the board controls all of the important de departments, including the police, including the planning department. The mayor cannot hire the heads of those departments. That's controlled by the commissions, which are controlled by the board. So this is just an example. I kind of went on a tangent, but that's an example of we're just trying to get better information out there so that people know who to blame and how to change it. No, so yeah, I'll have that. Uh, you know, you can you can see you know our website and read our newsletter, and maybe you don't really know like who's behind it. And really, who's behind it is me and Steven, and we have a thirteen member carry, and and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we are just authentically who we are, and we're just here because we love San Francisco. Uh, and I think that a podcast really helps. I think kind of let us be ourselves and and let voters hear from us directly. That all resonates with me. I think as as just a citizen who who was attracted to the nonpartisan but opinionated point of view that GrowSF has in terms of what we can do to improve our city. I was excited about the idea of potentially leaning into this format. I'm a podcast monster myself, constantly listening to things. Uh, my fiance will sort of like have to gesture to get my AirPods out. Uh, so we're, you know, we're excited to bring this, bring this to you and have a whole series. So maybe we take a step back and and why don't you guys go into the the founding of of Grossif. How did you find each other? Uh, what what prompted you to to start the organization? And then we can talk about some of the platform um, issues and, and go into more detail. I had never been involved in politics, uh, but around 2019, I started to dig in to learn more about San Francisco, what's going on here, and I volunteered as a poll worker in that November election, and that really like you know, made me pay attention to all these local races and, you know, who was running and, and what, what was on the ballot. And that's the election when Dean Preston beat Valley Brown by like 150 votes. And Chief Sifuddin won by a couple of thousand votes. And Twitter was like in uproar a couple of days after the election. People were so upset about the results and they're like, San Francisco's going to be ruined and voters have brought this upon themselves, like good riddance to San Francisco. And it was really like tough to like see and read. But what came to me was this feeling of like, well, why weren't all these people saying something like a week ago? So we actually could like affect how people were voting and we wouldn't be in the situation that we've now placed ourselves. So that was like this like aha moment of like, okay, well, instead of just complaining on Twitter, it's like so many people do, let's actually like, do something to fix it. And so I started to just meet as many people as I could um, who were doing good work around San Francisco. And, Met a lot of the supervisor candidates who were running in that November 2020 election, like Joel Guardio, uh, Danny Sauter, Marjan Philauer. And I met a lot of people who were just working on the advocacy side. That's how I met Stephen, who had been working in uh, and around housing policy for a number of years. And Steve and I just really aligned on this idea that the way to fix average goes to win elections. And we do that by publishing a really well-researched voter guide because it's really hard to know how to vote down ballot in local races, especially in San Francisco, we have a Democrat versus a Democrat, and you maybe can't tell them apart just reading you know, uh, the election department's pamphlet. So that's how it started. We came together and um, we've been publishing voter guides ever since and doing other lobbying work and advocacy work and education work. Our first big push was around saving outdoor dining during the pandemic, which I think was, was really an important thing to do just 
in general is, you know, make it easier for small businesses to stay alive during the pandemic, as well as bring alfresco dining to San Francisco. Uh, so it was important for that in, in that aspect, but it was also important for activating the very beginning of Grow SF. Like our best volunteers back then are still our best volunteers now. They're the people who were moved to action and believe that through showing up and doing the work, you can make real lasting change. Yeah, no, I mean, just speaking as someone who has interacted with the voter guides and the newsletter and some of the long form pieces, ultimately each of us as, as citizens in the city have to make up our, our own minds, but it's, it's really helpful to have well-researched pieces about how the city operates uh, and what the major issues are, particularly when they're on the ballot in plain English. And, and that's something that's hard to object to irrespective of, of what your point of view is. Yeah, that's really the key insight. And like, if, if you go and compare all of the voting resources from the last election, like November, uh, 2022, the Grow SF voter guide is the longest, most informative, least biased, uh, resource for any group in San Francisco. And that is our, our guiding principle is provide useful information. So two thirds of the guide is pure fact. One third of it is our opinion. And like, if you use two thirds of it and then come to a different conclusion, that's fine. You know, reasonable people can disagree, but as long as you're operating with good detailed information, I think people always make the right choice. So tell us about who's involved in Grow SF. I mean, obviously it's the, it's the three of you here, um, two of you and, and your colleague Carrie that you mentioned, but tell us about the community more broadly, how you engage the community, who's, who's in the community. I mean, we've got parents, teachers, students. Um, we've got people from every background, every socioeconomic tier, uh, people who show up when we need them at, a a public hearing to, to voice their support or their opposition, people of all genders and races. It's yeah, a I mean, full cross-section of San Francisco. You know, so, you know, it's really interesting that you're listing all these different demographics that are, you know, a part of the Grossup community and really, you know, are, are part of like a change that we want to see in the city. Um, and, it, and it speaks to the fact that the city that we want to see, like we just need the basics to work, right? We want to feel safe. Everybody wants to feel safe. We want good public education. Who doesn't want good public education? Um, you know, we want clean streets and we want the city to thrive. We want businesses to like, come here. We want immigrants to come here and start businesses and, and be able to start families here. And so these are, these are the kinds of issues and outcomes that everybody wants. And I think that that's what's led to a lot of our success. Um, you know, we're not trying to push any weird agenda. Uh, we just need the city to give us the, the tools and the basic fundamentals to, to survive. Yeah, I want to dive in a little bit deeper on that. I think something, well, there were a number of things bad about the, the, the Trump presidency, but one of them in particular was the nationalization of politics and how, how everyone's gaze shifted to only national issues and they started totally ignoring what was happening locally. And so, you know, rightly so, we united in San Francisco against Donald Trump. Ultimately, he became president. And during that hyper focus, the schools got worse. The streets got dirtier. More people ended up homeless. The police force started declining in size. Teachers started to get underpaid. Uh, housing continued to get more expensive. Like the city truly went off track in that time period. 
And now during the during the pandemic, we had a reawakening of civic awareness and civic pride. And people started to realize, wait, if we don't have our own house in order, we can't affect change nationally. So first, let's focus on having the best schools in the nation, having the cleanest streets, having a functional government locally. And that's really where Grow SF excels. We only focus on San Francisco. Like if you want an opinion about Medicare for all, don't come to us, right? If you want an opinion about how do we ensure that Timmy is learning algebra, then come to Grow SF. No, I, I'm. I mean, I, I think it's a really good point, Stephen. The the nationalization specifically uh, uh, of politics and the way that that San Francisco, irrespective of what side you're on and what publication you you read, there's there's always a sense of tomb. And of course, there's things to work on. That's that's why we're here, and we're we're trying to affect change and get the voice out. And the two of you, in particular, have been leaders via Grow SF. Uh, but at the same time, there's obviously so much to to really be be proud of. But, you know, one specific thing in, in that debate, whether it happens nationally or locally, I think there's this perception that that there's sort of a cadre of, of tech folks who are who are sort of, I don't know, I, I perceive it to, you know, the dialogue to say that these folks that are entitled or maybe disconnected from the city. And I think when you talk about your community with Grow SF, it, it really is. And when folks go to meetups, which which is how I first got involved uh, and wanted to get more involved it is really a cross-section of individuals who just want to make the city a better place. And we all living among each other and we can all have a voice and, and demand accountability from, from our elected officials. So that, that I think is, is powerful and I think is a, a misperception insofar as anyone might have it worth correcting, uh, whether it's about sort of how city, citizens get involved in San Francisco or even specifically SF. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The you know, the media loves to run on a narrative. They, it doesn't matter how long we've been out of tech, we are still tech workers to the media. Like I, I was talking to some reporter, I can't remember which publication, but they called me a former tech executive. And you know, I've, I've never been an executive. They just, they pick whatever word they want to use to describe you and that's what they're gonna print. And that's just what it is, but it doesn't reflect the reality on the ground. Your presence, yeah, your very executive presence. Well, thank you. <laughs> no, but so Sachin, you started to get into this. Maybe for the two of you, do you want to lay out the the major platform um, issues or or uh, focus areas that Grow SF is is spending time on? Yeah, so you know, at a high level, you know, what we want to see in San Francisco is a city that's growing, right? We think we live in literally the most beautiful place in the world with just so much incredible diversity and culture. And I think it's selfish to say, you know, our population is 800,000 people and it's not going to grow. That, like, you're not allowed to come here. Right? San Francisco's going to hit a place that's always welcomed immigrants. And all of a sudden, like, we've said, like, no, we're full. Um, and so, you know, we want to say, like, no, come here. Come here as an immigrant or just, you know, come here for the opportunity, the jobs, whatever else. And, but to do that, we need to invest in building more housing so that housing is, is cheaper investing in public transportation so we're not driving our cars everywhere around the city and investing in public schools public education so that people can send their kids to school clean streets and, and all the other things that you need to grow so that's why we're calling for us like we want the city to grow and in terms of you know how we get there what we've identified is that you, know, you can fight for every project one at a time right like 
someone's going to build a new condo building on this block. Like, let's go lobby our supervisors or someone wants to build this, you know, other project over here. But, you know, Sarasota needs to build 82,000 homes in the next 10 years. There's no way that you can go and fight for every one of those homes one at a time. So what Grow South does is we want to replace the supervisors and the other officials who are getting in the way. Just like, don't, we don't need to ask them. We don't need their permission. If you want to build something and it, uh, you know, if you have the permits and it passes all the laws, then go and build it. And that should be the same around like st starting a small business or building a tech company or whatever else. We just want the government to get out of the way and let the city thrive. I mean, that's probably a good segue into, and many listeners will be familiar with how the city works, but it, it's such a complicated morass. Maybe either if you want to just speak to when you talk about actually impacting awareness around supervisor elections in particular, why, why is that important? Well, it's because the supervisors hold all the power. The supervisors are the ones that write laws. The supervisors are the ones who will deny your permit because they'll uphold an appeal. The supervisors are the ones who control who gets on commissions and who runs the city departments. The mayor really is in control of the budget and directing departments to do things. But those directives don't carry the force of law, right? Ultimately, uh, the, the incentive to listen to the mayor if you're running a department is if I don't do it, she'll fire me except she doesn't have the authority to fire you anymore because for the commissions where she or sorry for the departments where she can unilaterally fire she can't unilaterally hire so take the police as an example i'm sorry chief scott i don't think you're doing a great job but he's completely safe because if the mayor were to fire the police chief she couldn't hire a replacement that would be controlled by the police commission which is controlled by defund the police activists who were appointed by the board of supervisors. And so if we want better policing, we don't need a better mayor. We need better board of supervisors. So that's, that's why we focus on the board because we did the power analysis and we said, it doesn't make sense to, to focus on anything else. It is the most important thing to elect better supervisors. So, you know, 11 seats mm -hmm. among the supervisors, board of supervisors in San Francisco, it's, it's, done at the district level, the elections are held at a district level. Maybe we could, just, I mean, this is really getting into nitty gritty, but maybe even just bring that to life in terms of where the districts are as just one example. And then the board of supervisors is uh, appointing committees that actually have control over major functions within the city government. And so you have sort of the mayor and the executive branch, so to speak. Uh, but as a, as a big shadow of that, you have the board of supervisors and then all the committees that are that are actually placed to sit effectively above the the major departments. Right. The mayor has some authority to fire, but she does not, or you know, to change leadership, but she does not have the authority to actually implement the change to a new person without the committees, which ultimately go back to the board of supervisors. So it's this right. big loop and circle. Yeah. And keep in mind, these commissioners are not elected. They are unelected activists controlling the city. Like we do not have true uh, voter representation running these departments because they're not run by elected people. It's a completely broken system that we have to fix. Hey, one other thing I'll add is, you know, San Francisco is a democratic city. Most most people are registered Democrats. So you would think that, you know, among the board of supervisors, like how different can these people really be? Like, don't we all just want the same thing? 
But it turns out we don't, or we have very different opinions on how we get there. And so the board of supervisors is actually incredibly divided. Uh, and that's what really paralyzes the city and makes it hard to move forward. Right. And that's been our goal is to elect just folks that want common sense outcomes uh, and not the, the ideologues who you know, are just pushing their agendas and, and are trying to hold the city back. Okay, okay. So complicated system. Give us an example of something that I think listeners would by and large agree is common sense that is being adversely impacted by the way our system is set up in San Francisco, our political system. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so... Uh, we just ran a poll, Grow SF ran a poll, uh, and one of the questions we asked was, do you support teaching algebra in eighth grade? We found 80% of San Franciscans want algebra to be taught in eighth grade. But because of this school department policies, no public school can teach algebra in eighth grade. But of course, if you go to a private school, you can. You can learn algebra whenever you want. It's another example of where if you're wealthy in San Francisco, you're going to be fine. But if you're relying on the government, you're going to be failed. So the, the school board banned algebra. They say, we're not going to teach it in eighth grade because math is racist, effectively. That's not literally what they said. Okay, what they literally said was, if we don't teach algebra until ninth grade, then students will repeat algebra less. Okay, like, sure, that follows. If you wait to teach algebra a year, you know, the, the students who are behind, they'll have more time to catch up, maybe they'll do better. But what you're effectively doing is holding back the talented students. And you're saying you have to lower your standards and you have to be held back because your peers are not ready. I don't think that's fair. So this highlights one important area where this, the system of government in San Francisco is not reflecting the will of the voters. Uh, so so um, the school board is not actually controlled by the board of supervisors or the mayor. The school board is its own independent elected body. So the mayor can't even say, hey, schools, get your act together and, and fix it. What we have to do is elect a better school board. We help get towards that goal by helping the school board recall effort. We recall the three ineffective school board members by an incredible margin. Uh, but there's more work to do. So we still have a four to three anti-merit majority on the school board. And so coming up this November, we need to elect four good people. Uh, and all of this is important. I mean, besides being important for the children to learn math, it's also important for who gains political power in San Francisco. Because if you look at past school board elections, very powerful progressive names have come out of it. So you've got Jane Kim, Sandra Lee Fuhr, Shimon Walton, Norman Yee, Eric Marr, all progressive supervisors, all served on the Board of Education, none of whom had any background in education. All they were doing was raising their name ID so they could win elections at the Board of Supervisors. They ruined our schools for their own political agenda. And that has to stop. And that's what we're here to do, because in our voter guide, we'll tell you, do these people have any business running a school department? And for all of those people listed, the answer is no. Yeah, that's a helpful example. And, and as, as just one specific instance of, of one of the policy items that GrowSF is working on, particularly where there are elected officials and elected boards making pretty impactful decisions across the city. It, just, Stephen, for the sake of, you know, because I, I think 
you know, what you do is super well researched. And obviously there's a, like you said, reasonable people can disagree. Mm. Talk to me first about the polling. How, how are you ensuring that, you know, if someone were to ask, are you actually getting the cross-section of the city? Because it's clearly informing some of the policy platform decisions. How are you actually going about that? Sure. Well, we strongly believe in good methodologies and statistical significance. So in our most recent poll, we used a, an organization called FM3. They're a well-regarded polling firm. They ran a poll of, across, I think, 458 respondents with a 4.9% margin of error at a 95% confidence interval. The, they conducted the poll in both English and Chinese via phone calls, email invitations, and text invitations. And so it is, it's basically the best methodology you can use at the city level. Uh, there are other organizations, which I won't name, that, that'll just do like online only polls or they'll just run like a Google survey or a Facebook poll. That's garbage methodology and we don't use that. We believe in getting the real information from voters. So we will always, not only always publish our methodologies, but always try to have the very best methodology possible. Yeah, and I think for, for listeners, my, my assumption is that the multi-language support is important in, in part because... We have a very significant uh, percentage of the city's population that's chi one of the Chinese language speaking. That's right. Yeah, there's I, the top two, uh, I, I think, um, monolingual communities are uh, the Cantonese speakers, which is like the, the big majority. And I, I believe that the uh, second most is probably Spanish monolingual, but I, it's, it's much smaller than Cantonese. Uh, most people who speak Spanish also speak English in, in, in San Francisco. Yeah. And, and so, you know, obviously there are elected officials who, who partly the view, at least what I'm hearing from you is might have a, might have policy views, may have an agenda that is probably pretty far off where the vast majority of San Franciscans are. I mean, talk to me at the individual, you know, many of these people at the individual level, what do you think is motivating them? You could talk about the algebra debate, for example, if you were to argue the other side, um, how would you think about that, both from a policy point of view, but also sort of the motivations of the, in this case, the school board members who, you know, who have their own reasons for wanting to uh, push for algebra to be delayed? I think there's a few different reasons why someone might, you know, be on the other side of SF's uh, direction of what we're trying to see in the city. Yeah, I think, I think one of the problems is the fact that we have these district-based supervisors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some quick numbers, we have 800,000 residents in San Francisco about 500,000 voters. So each district has about 40,000 voters. So you get to these like pretty small groups of people. Now, if you're a supervisor and you're trying to win, you're only going to care about what those 40,000 people want. And, you know, that might not be what's best for the city as a whole. Um, and I think that's what that kind of tension is what plays out here. And often we get kind of the, the worst of everything. People want to see the city thrive and they might want to see growth, but they might not want to see it on their own street. Yeah, I think... On that note, there's there's this great research paper called Warding Off Local Development by Evan Mast. And he found, uh, I, I think he has co-authors, but I'm forgetting their names. Uh, so they found that when a city switches from citywide elections to district-based elections like San Francisco has, the number of multifamily homes that get built drops by half 
just changing the election process. You're not changing any other laws. You're not changing anything except citywide elections versus district elections. District elections lead to less housing production because of exactly what Sushin's saying. The people who get elected there focus on their small neighborhood and promise that it doesn't change. So this is one of the structural things that GrowSF will work on over time is we need to move away from this parochial version of, of direct democracy and towards larger scale representative democracy that cares about the city as a whole and not just a couple streets. Yeah, I mean, I'm no expert in governmental theory, but it, it strikes me that you're balancing how do you serve the majority of San Franciscans the best? How do you serve all San Franciscans the best, actually? It strikes me that you're balancing how do you serve all San Franciscans as best as you can? And of course, you want to protect folks that may be disadvantaged, depending on how you define any different group. And at the same time, you know, government's job is to also balance moving the city as a whole. And so what strikes me when you talk about this district-based system of electing representatives is you basically have one of the 11 votes that is fully captured by 40,000 or so residents by definition. Yep. And, and that has its own set of adverse complications. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just to add in, I mean, yes, like, you know, you want to elect people who are, are moving the city towards what, what, you know, most people want. And there's going to be attention, right? But the fact is actually that like 80% of people want the same thing. So it's not actually like that hard of a problem. Like when 80% of people want good public schools and safe streets and want to feel safe and lower crime and all that, you're actually just like, just do what, the, what most people want and like, we're good. And in terms of like helping the disadvantaged and, you know, the folks who need, you know, extra help. Well, think about this. When like COVID hit and schools were closed, who did that hurt the most? The people who didn't have the resources to send their kids to private camps. You know, when algebra is not taught in eighth grade, Stephen said this, who, who, who's hurt the most? The kids who are going to public, public schools. The kids who are going to private schools are, are not affected. The kids who, whose parents can pay for private tutoring are not affected. So these but politicians are not actually doing the work to help the underprivileged and raise people up. They're hurting them further, specifically. Yeah, I, it's a really salient point. And I, I think it goes back to something you were saying, Sachin, around outcomes. And one, one of the views of GrowSF is to actually just focus on the outcomes, like you were saying, and then be okay being wrong and then iterating. I mean, that's how you move. Well, that's how you grow SF. That's how you move progress forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... Guys, I know we're, we're coming up on our time. Maybe we can look ahead. You know, for the audience, we're going to do... So there's going to be 10 episodes that we're, we're planning in this first season, so to speak. Uh, eight of them will be deep dives into uh, the different policy and platform items for GrowSF, things like housing, things like uh, clean streets and safe streets, things like education, like we talked about today. Uh, and then and then we'll do a final episode with a, with a surprise guest. But... Maybe let's look ahead to the near term in the next year or so. What do San Franciscans have to look forward to from an election point of view? What are the big milestones that are coming up? The biggest thing happening soon is the March 5th primary election. And it's not big because of the presidential primary. Like, I don't care. I don't care about the presidential primary. What is big there is the Democratic County Central Committee, the DCCC. Now, you may have heard of the DCCC, you probably heard about the congressional level, this is the local one. What it is, is the board of directors of the local Democratic Party. 
So they do a couple of unimportant things, but they do one super important thing, which is they set the endorsements of the local Democratic Party. So whoever they endorse gets to say, I'm the Democrat. And in a city that is a Democratic city, obviously that endorsement is worth a lot of votes. By our analysis, that endorsement's worth about 14% uh, just right off the bat. If you're endorsed by the Democratic Party, you get 14% at a minimum. So the Democratic Party, the DCCC, has been taken over by the furthest left activists in the city. So when I mentioned at the top of the hour that I ran and lost for an election, I actually ran for the DCCC in 2020. And my slate, which was the common sense, moderate, forward-looking slate, got wiped out. We basically lost every single seat but one or two, and the furthest left people took all the other seats, uh, which is like 28 seats, I think. It's, it's big. It's huge. 14 is 24. 14 on the uh, east side, 10 on the west side. So we're focused on the March election because we need to bring a common sense majority back to the Democratic Party if we have any hope of putting San Francisco back on the right track. So then, of course, after March, we have the November election. And, you know, we've got about a year until we get there, but it's going to be big. There will be five supervisors, six, six supervisors up for election. Uh, districts one, three, five, seven, nine and eleven. Uh, the good news for common sense people is that none of our good supervisors are, are at risk. Right. Our good supervisors are in the even districts. So we're going to maintain at least four people on the board that are common sense, forward-looking people. And then the, um, uh, the six people that are all up for, vote, for voting uh, are progressives. And we are hoping to win at least two, hopefully four seats for common sense people. And that will give us a majority on the board of supervisors and allow us to actually fix the structural problems in San Francisco government, as well as repeal a bunch of the laws holding the city back. Sachin, Stephen, question. GrowSF is a nonpartisan organization, right? That's right. And so what does that, what does that mean? I think party labels get thrown around a lot. Help, help listeners understand what does it mean to be nonpartisan and, and how should we think about sort of politics from a party perspective in San Francisco? Yeah, partisanship in San Francisco is, is, is weird. Um, you know, it's a one-party city. It's effectively 100% Democratic. And so to be partisan or nonpartisan in San Francisco, it's like, it's not based on party label. It's really based on what do you want for the city? And so we're nonpartisan because we're not focusing on partisan issues, right? Great public schools, that's not partisan. Safe streets, that's not partisan. Clean streets, that's not partisan. These things are the basics of a social contract that we should have with our government. And so we stay out of these internecine intra-party fights. I don't care what party you're registered as unless you know, you want to vote in the Democratic County Central Committee election, in which case you have to be a registered Democrat. But like, I don't care personally what party you identify as. Uh, you know, I, I'm a Democrat. Most of my family are Republicans. I love them. I know people in every party and I'm friends with everyone from furthest left to, well, maybe not the furthest right, but like middle right. 
<laughs> you got to draw a line somewhere, you know. But to be nonpartisan in San Francisco just means I care about outcomes. I don't care about labels. I don't care about virtue signaling. I just want the city to work. And that's really where we are. You know, one thing I think we're going to ask all our guests, because our audience is primarily going to be comprised of San Francisco residents. I just want to get a gem or a suggestion or a recommendation for something San Francisco specific. So I'm going to ask everybody that. I think one of my favorite parts about San Francisco is Golden Gate Park. And, you know, what I love about it is just like there's so many parts of the park and there's so many things to do. You know, there's a bunch of lakes and there's a bunch of museums. There's bison, so windmills. You could explore it every day for the rest of your life. You probably won't see all of it. And I think what's kind of crazy is I think that, um, you know, I, I spent 10 years living on more of the east side of the city, and now I live on the west side of the city. And I obviously spend 10 times more time, or actually probably 100 times more time in Bulgate Park now than I did before. Um, so I would just encourage everyone who maybe, you know, doesn't live right next door to the park to, to head over to the west side and, and explore. Uh, I guess mine would be, you know, also west side of the city, uh, there's a bakery called Wheatfields, and I go there for egg tarts, like kind of Hong Kong style egg tarts. And then you know, if you want to go more Portuguese, there's a new Basta de Nata place called Holy Nata, completely opposite side of the city in Fidei. It's a, it's a hole in the wall. They're frequently running out. Probably shouldn't be telling people this, uh, but you can pre-order. So that's my hot tip. And Stephen? I love uh, Bernal Heights Park, like at the, at the top of the hill. Uh, it's just, it's a phenomenal view of the city that's very peaceful because really not that many people go up there. Uh, and you can, you can go up there and sit and, and be with your thoughts and really just meditate, enjoy the city. Uh, it's been, it's been a favorite of mine since I, since I moved here. Uh, and also I'm a big fan of coffee and there's some great coffee in the city. Uh, my, my go-to is Linnea at uh, 17th and what is it, Lexington, I think. And there's this newer place uh, downtown called uh, the Coffee Movement. Oh man, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I'm not alone because you can't go there without waiting in line for 30 minutes. So the secret's already out. I, I, don't, I don't mind spoiling it here, but if you like coffee, go check out the Coffee Movement. It's gonna blow your mind. And so where can people Fine. I mean, obviously they can Google Grow SF, but where can people find you and how can they help? So, uh, yeah, check us out at, at growsf.org. You can learn more about um, the, the things we care about and the campaigns we're running. Uh, you can see our past voter guides and, and you know, just read more about our, our mission. In terms of getting involved, you know, what we tell folks is, number one, make sure you vote in local elections. Use our voter guide, you know, read it. If you disagree with parts of it, that's okay, but make sure that you're informed. Tell your friends about our voter guide, make sure that they're voting in local elections. This ballot's gonna be long next year. In November, it might be 10, 15 pages long. And so it's gonna take some time, make sure you dedicate a few hours to, to going through it. And, uh, you know, we, we host events as well. You know, we'd love to meet people and, and talk about our mission. Uh, we have a, a monthly happy hour uh, at the Orbit Room in uh, around Hayes Valley. Uh, you can get information about that on our website. Uh, and then, you know, we, we love having people volunteer with us. Uh, Michelle, thank you for volunteering for doing this podcast. Uh, we have folks that have helped us write content, um, run advocacy campaigns, um, you know, do research for us. We're going to be running uh, a lot of uh, 
big campaigns next year and we're going to need a lot of help. So uh, you can email us at contact at growstuff.org. We also have a volunteer form on the website that you can fill out. But yeah, you know, it's, I think it's really important for people to educate themselves on local issues and get involved. And I think if we all do that, we're really going to see San Francisco get on the right track and, and thrive. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And now a word from CrowSF co-founder Stephen Buss. Be sure to check out growsf.org, sign up for our weekly newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening around town, and definitely use the GrowSF Voter Guide when you vote this March and November. 